to John's Gospel, chapter 16. So many good things that I just decided I I didn't want to cover too many verses each week, so we slowed down from our original design, and we're only going to go through the first seven verses of John 16 tonight. And here again, Jesus is taking the opportunity before he is arrested and betrayed and, and, and begins these series of trials leading to his crucifixion to take the time to share with his disciples, his followers, some last words that he hopes will be lasting words that will sustain them and keep them going through the difficult days of adversity that are ahead of them. And notice here what Jesus says right from the start here in this chapter division in chapter 16, verse 1, as he continues to talk to them about these things. He says, I have told you about these things so that you will not fall away. The things that I think Jesus is referring to here is the suffering that awaits him in Jerusalem, the fact that he's getting ready to lay down his life, the fact that he's going back to his father. Notice, Jesus says, I have told you these things. I have disclosed the mind of God to you for this reason. So you will not fall away. God reveals his truth to us. As hard as it is sometimes for us to accept and receive, so that we will not fall away. Now listen. These words, fall away, mean to be ensnared or entrapped. Think of a net that, that you know, are, are catching fish there. Uh, that's what Jesus says. He does not want us to become trapped or ensnared by not hearing the truth and receiving the truth. In fact, you can, you can sort of even lay this aside of the verse in John where Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So think about it. When you and I are exposed to truth, we receive truth, and we take in the truth, then we're free. We're not ensnared and entrapped. When we, when we avoid truth, as hard as it is, when we run from truth, when we won't accept truth, we actually become ensnared and entrapped if you will. In other words, all that they were going to experience could have been a spiritual trap for them. They they could have concluded that Jesus wasn't who he said he was, based on what they were experiencing. They could have maybe concluded that God really doesn't win in this whole thing, does he? That that Satan wins, or evil wins, or, or whatever. Uh, Maybe they could have concluded falsely that it's not worth being a follower of Jesus Christ because of what is going to happen. So again, Jesus was going to share with them truth because he did not want them to be trapped or ensnared by not having the truth to carry with them. But there's something else that these words fall away mean. It's not only speaking about us being trapped or ensnared, It also speaks about us then being an impediment or an obstacle to someone else. In fact, the Greek word here for fall away is the Greek word skandalizo, where we get the word scandal from, or scandalous. And it's the idea that if if I'm not accepting truth, if I'm not hearing truth, if I'm not living truth, 
If I'm not living in the truth, I not only can be entrapped and ensnared myself and not be living in the freedom that God designed, but I can then turn around and actually be an impediment or obstacle to others as well because I'm not in the truth. I'm not sharing the truth. I'm not living the truth. So Jesus here is saying, I know the things I've told you are difficult for you to hear, maybe difficult for you to accept, but I need to tell you these things because it's, it's absolutely necessary because if I don't tell you these things, if you don't live in the realm of truth, you're going to get trapped. You're not going to live in the freedom that God designed. And you could end up being an impediment or obstacle to someone else as well. Notice what he says. They, at a future time, will put you out of the synagogue. You'll become outcasts in your own culture and society. I think, again, one of the reasons why Jesus was sharing this is some of the disciples probably thought, Jesus is going to Jerusalem so he can set up his kingdom. Kingdom's coming, right? That's what he's talked about too. Or maybe even, okay, worst case scenario. Uh, Jesus dies and, and is resurrected, but right after the resurrection, then he sets up his kingdom, right? No, book of Acts. And all the horrific things that, that they were going to have to go through as followers. All the disciples were going to be martyred. For their faith, which he's going to talk to them about here in just a minute. So he's not painting any kind of a, you know, unrealistic picture here. That's not what Jesus, the, the reality, the truth of God does. He always deals in reality as hard as it is because he would rather us know what's really coming and be prepared for it because there's a freedom of knowing the truth and knowing also that through God we have the ability and capacity to live through whatever the reality is, rather than trying to deny the truth or pretend the truth isn't, doesn't exist or that it's not going to happen. You see, like many people do today. They live in a fantasy world, a make-believe world. And God never wants us to live in that way. So he's going to tell them some hard things. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogue, outcast. For a Jew, that's like the worst thing possible, you see. And yet Jesus says, that's what's going to happen to you. Christians down through the years since this time have been outcasts in their culture and society. Maybe sometimes you feel like an outcast in your family, at work, uh, in your neighborhood, wherever. That's part of being a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Is following Jesus Christ so faithfully that we're not concerned about fitting in with the world we might become an outcast. We might be labeled. We might not get invited to all the things that others are getting invited to. Jesus is preparing us for that. And then he goes on to say, a time is even coming when the one who kills you. So again, Jesus isn't pulling any punches. He's telling his followers, listen, you're going to die. They're going to kill you. And Jesus goes on to say, the time is coming when those who kill you are going to think that they're doing service or offering service to God. That's how warped they are in their perspective and in their thinking. In fact, in the word think, I want to just pause there for a minute. It speaks about one's perspective and value system. And so notice how important it is that you and I make sure that in our thinking, that our perspective and value system is coming from God. Because if left to ourselves or left to other people, 
Our value system and our perspective will get warped, you see. That, that's why we need to uh, allow our, our mind to be totally renewed, you know, day in and day out, as Romans 12, 2 says. That's why the Bible talks about the importance of, of our thinking and our thought life. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Thinking are, is so important, but it's not just thinking alone. It's thinking in connection and conjunction with the mind of God and the wisdom of God and making sure we're on the same page with God and developing a value system and a perspective out of God's revelation, not on our own. Because these people were thinking that by killing the disciples, they were actually worshiping God. Because that's actually what the words here, offering service to God, means. These were words that were used of worship to God. In other words, they thought by killing the disciples, the apostles, they were bringing an acceptable sacrifice to God in worship. That's literally what it means in the Greek language. And you start to think about that concept and realize that down through the history of the Bible, how many people thought they were bringing acceptable sacrifices to God, but they really weren't. I mean, you can go all the way back to even Genesis to Cain. Cain thought he was bringing an acceptable sacrifice to God, but God rejected Cain's sacrifice and received Abel's because Cain's wasn't an acceptable sacrifice to God. How many people in the Old Testament brought sacrifices to God in the tabernacle or at the temple, but they weren't acceptable to God, you see? So we have to be careful. That when we're offering God things in worship, that these are things that are truly approved of God and acceptable to God. Because just like the religious leaders that Jesus is talking about here, they thought that by killing the apostles, they were doing the right thing. I mean, isn't this what Saul was all about? Why Saul hunted and persecuted Christians and threw them in jail and had them murdered before he was converted and became Paul? He thought he was doing service to God. And so it shows again how warped we can get if we don't allow our thoughts to, to be, you know, renewed by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. Notice verse 3. They will do these things, Jesus says, here's the root of the problem, because they have not known the Father or me. Total ignorance of God. They've never known God. They know about God but they don't know God. And Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, especially John records how Jesus connects knowledge of the Father with knowledge of himself. Over and over again, Jesus says, if you knew me, you'd know the Father. If you knew the Father, you'd know me. In fact, Jesus is basically saying, you can't know God unless you know me. Now think about that. How many religions today and, and all of these things, they, they say, I, we know God, but they have nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus would say, uh, sorry, you can't have it that way. Nobody can know God if they don't know me. And again, let me separate it out here. The caution here is that we don't become a people who know about God. There's a difference, a distinction between us knowing about God and knowing God. Think of the religious leaders of Israel that Jesus is talking about here. Nobody knew more about God than the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all of them. Nobody knew more about the Old Testament than the religious leaders of Israel. 
But all of that knowledge did not bring them into a relationship with God. Many people today who either profess to be Christians or are Christians accumulate a lot of knowledge about God throughout their Christian life. They go to churches where they hear messages about God from the Bible. They attend Bible studies. They're in small groups. And, and, and folks, there's nothing wrong with those things. But let's make sure that in all of our increase in knowledge that we are, it, it is getting us to a place where our relationship and fellowship with God is growing and where we truly know God. We're not just knowing about God, you see. Knowing about God is impersonal. Knowing God is developing that personal relationship. And that was the difference between Jesus' disciples and between the religious leaders of Israel. They were going to kill these apostles or disciples of Jesus eventually because they had no knowledge of God in a personal way. They were ignorant of God. In spite of all of their knowledge, you see, it never led to a personal relationship. We must make sure that the knowledge that we're gaining from God's Word every day is enhancing our relationship with God. If not, then that's not the end that God designed for this knowledge to have. That's a sobering thing when you ponder it and, and consider it for a moment. And then he says in verse 4, But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I told you about them. Notice the phrase, their time. Jesus saying, look, in your life, it's going to look like they win. They're going to have their time. They're going to persecute. It's going to look like their side wins because they're going to have their time. And the reason, again, Jesus is telling us these things and telling them these things is he says, I want you to remember what I've told you when their time comes. Because if you don't remember what I've told you, again, you're going to get sideways spiritually. You're going to get sideways in your relationship with God. You're going to get disillusioned. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to end up in despair because you're going to look at the circumstances. You're going to look at all the things that are going on around you and think, they win. They're having their time. I mean, isn't it true that you and I could get caught up in that same mindset today if we just stepped back and instead of living by faith and walking by faith we start walking by sight and we start looking around at all the the wicked people that want nothing to do with God and we see them prospering like the psalmist wrestled with a lot and go God I don't get it the people that want nothing to do with you and live these horrible lives man they get all the things and and all the perks in life and it seems like they're always getting ahead and those of us that are trying to live for you it seems like we're always getting squashed i don't get it god see we could we could end up in the same place and that's why jesus says remember my word don't walk by sight walk by faith and when it looks like evil's winning when it looks like you know uh, all, these, all these things are against us and it's not worth being a Christian and it's not worth all the effort to follow Christ and be a disciple and all of these things, Jesus says, remember. And remember doesn't only mean be mindful of, it literally means make mention of, talk about what I've told you. 
So it's like, speak it out. Speak it out loud. Talk to each other about it. Encourage each other with the Word of God. Because at times in this world, it's going to look like, again, evil's winning. And the ungodly are the ones that are prospering, not Christians. And so we need to remember to be mindful always of the Word of God and make mention of it and speak it out. That's how Jesus says we can combat this. And then he said, I did not tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. I was physically present with you. So there wasn't the need to to lay down all this preparation, but now I'm getting ready to go. And you have got to be prepared. Your mind has got to be in a proper place. So notice here, now verse 5. Now I am going to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking me where you're going. Your concern, even though I've revealed this to you, is not about where I'm going. You're stuck with how you're feeling about my departure. Because notice what he goes on to say in verse 6. Instead, your hearts are filled with sadness because I have said these things to you. You're in pain, grief, and sorrow because I've said these things to you. Because you can't get past how it seems to be affecting you. I'm leaving. Oh my goodness, our world is falling apart. What are we going to do? Now, a couple things. Notice that Jesus also was willing to tell them the truth, even though he knew it would lead them to temporary sadness. That's important. Not that God wants to make us sad, but God will never withhold truth from us. He will never withhold reality from us because his hope is, obviously, as we're going to learn here, is to get us quickly moving past that stage of sadness and getting us to a place where we see that the things that God allows in our life and allows us to go through is actually to our advantage. It's learning to walk by faith and trust our God in each and every one of life's situations. Even now, there may be someone here tonight or someone who eventually listens to this message on podcast, and you may be in a season or a place in life where your heart is filled with sadness right now. You don't understand why God is allowing you to go through what you're going through. You you don't understand... Uh, why you're having to deal with these circumstances that you are. And, and think about it even from the disciples' perspective. Jesus isn't going to tell them near all the details that are coming because you can imagine how hard it would be for them to believe if he went on to say, oh, by the way, it's going to be to your advantage that when I get to Jerusalem, I'm betrayed. When I get to Jerusalem, uh, they're going to arrest me. When I get to Jerusalem, uh, I'm going to be found guilty. I'm going to be sentenced to be crucified. It's going to be to your advantage that I'm scourged, to your advantage that I'm mocked, to your advantage that I hang on a cross, to your advantage that I die. The disciples would have looked at him like, you're crazy. And yet, and yet, Do we not at times, even as followers of Jesus Christ, struggle with the same thing, only for different reasons? We're in a circumstance or a situation in life, and we think, God's abandoned me. Where is God? Why is God allowing me to go through this? What good is this going to be for me? 
I can't see anything good coming out of this. That's what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to see about what was coming. See? Sadness has filled your heart now. And you're stuck there. You can't look past how this is affecting you. When I said, I'm going away, that's all you've heard now, and you're stuck there. And Jesus wanted to move his disciples, if you will, past the quicksand that they were in, being stuck there, to get them to see the bigger picture. Maybe that's what God's doing in your life right now. Maybe that's what God has done. Maybe that's what God wants to do. Maybe God wants to use you to share this truth with someone else that you know, a family member, a friend, a fellow Christian who's stuck somewhere in life. And they can't get past where they are because they've just allowed their circumstances to fill their heart with pain and grief and sorrow and sadness. And they keep questioning God, God, why am I here? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? That's exactly where the disciples were. But notice now the words of Jesus. And if you, if you meditate, if you take away anything uh, from this passage tonight, if you focus on one verse, here's the verse I would like you to focus on. Verse 7, where Jesus says, But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I am going away. That's where Jesus wanted to move his disciples to. To a place where they would trust him even though the circumstances don't look good. Even though the circumstances aren't favorable. Even though the situation around them is difficult. Jesus says, trust me. Listen, when Jesus tells his disciples, I'm telling you the truth, he's not using that phrase because he's usually a lying and he's like, now, I, I know I'm usually lying to you, but now I'm really going to tell you the truth. That, that's not what he means by that phrase. What he means by that phrase is, trust me. Make a concerted effort right now, disciples, to trust me. It is to your advantage that I'm going. I know you can't see it now. You're stuck where you are. All you can see right now by me telling you that I'm going to depart and go back to the Father is... Bad things. Negative. You can't see anything positive coming out of this. But I'm telling you, it's actually to your advantage that I leave. God may be wanting to reinforce that in your life right now. Again, in someone's life who, who listens to this message at some point. That what you are going through right now, you may not see any profit or benefit from it at all, but Jesus is telling you and me at times and in seasons of our life to trust him. This is for our spiritual profit and benefit that he's allowing us to go through this. That's what the word advantage means. Profit, benefit. In other words, Jesus is basically saying to his disciples here, do you realize, guys, this is for your own spiritual growth? This is for your own spiritual progress and advancement that I leave. You'll be better off spiritually when I go. They couldn't see it. Just like many times in life, we can't see that where we are right now. Because again, it, you know, it goes back to you know, the old saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. So often in life, 
we even as Christians get stuck in a circumstance that is so personally unfavorable that we can't look outside of that season of our life or that circumstance and see how anything good can come of it or how it could ever be for our profit or benefit. And that's where Jesus says, I need disciples who will trust me. Because we won't always understand, you see. We won't always get it, just like the disciples. The disciples didn't understand the profit and benefit in Jesus leaving. They didn't understand. And that's why Jesus is saying, I'm not going to sit here and try to explain this anymore to you so that somehow I think you're going to come to a place where the light bulb goes on and you go, okay, Jesus, I get it now. No, no, no. No. What God asks of us is not to understand, but to trust. The understanding will come later. Now, in the fog of it all, all God asks for us is to trust Him. He can be trusted because He always tells us the truth. He always deals in reality. Why would Jesus say that it's to their advantage, even his own disciples, that he leaves? I mean, you and I, on this side of Jesus being on earth, we're always the ones that say, Oh, those disciples, they had such a great advantage over us. They actually walked with Jesus. And Jesus is basically informing even his own disciples, you're actually going to be better off as my followers, when I leave and you start living through the Spirit who lives within you. Because see, as long as Jesus is in the flesh, He can only minister to those that are around Him. When He goes back to heaven at the right hand of God, then through the coming of the Spirit, the Advocate who comes... He can literally be personally present and minister to all of us through the Holy Spirit who's in us. And He can be there for us at all times, everywhere. When He walked the earth, He couldn't always be with His disciples. They weren't always together 24-7. But when the Spirit of God comes and lives within us, now Jesus, through the Spirit, can be with us at all times. And that's why even Jesus said to his disciples, it will be for your benefit and profit. It'll be better off for you spiritually. It will enhance your spiritual growth and progress if I get out of here and go back to the Father. This is a principle of, of discipleship that God will seek to take every Christian through. To get us to a place, just like his own disciples, where we learn to walk by faith and not by sight. And even in the midst of circumstances being all wrong around us, God, in the midst of that terrible storm, will come into the eye of that storm where it is calm and ask us to take him by the hand just as he asked Peter to step out of the boat and walk on the water towards him. And even in the midst of the storm, say, you can be calm and rest and be composed if you just trust me. I'll get you through the storm. 
And when you get through the storm, you will see down the road that that storm that I allowed to come into your life, that storm that you and I went through, was actually beneficial and profitable to you in your spiritual walk with me. It made you stronger. It made you a better follower. It strengthened your faith and trust in me. So many things. And that's what Jesus here is saying to his followers as well. Because he ends this that we're going to look at tonight with these words. For if I do not go away, as long as Jesus was present on the earth, the Holy Spirit would not come and indwell believers. Jesus had to leave and depart and go back to the Father. And when he did that, then the advocate, the helper, the supporter will come. And that's what Jesus says. If I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him directly to you. And it will be to your advantage. You'll prosper spiritually. You'll make so much more progress through the indwelling Holy Spirit than you could ever make through just my physical presence. And now think about that. What's that say? And, and think about it in this context. It, did Jesus' words not come true? Were they not borne out? Think of who the disciples were even when they were with Jesus before the crucifixion and resurrection. And think of what those same disciples were like after the Holy Spirit came upon them at Pentecost. When were they, when were they stronger? When they were physically with Jesus or when they were empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Think of Peter. He was with Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years. And yet, he was so weak that he denied Jesus when Jesus was right there physically with him. But when the Holy Spirit came into Peter's life and indwelled him and empowered him, that same guy stood up in front of thousands and boldly and courageously and fearlessly proclaimed Jesus Christ. See, that's what God wants us to see. You may have concluded, oh, if I'd just have Jesus to walk with me every day, I'd be a better Christian, I'd be more faithful, I'd be more powerful, I'd be more courageous. Jesus would say, no, no, no. You have God living within you. You have the Holy Spirit, and I'm living through Him, through you. I'm with you. And I'm with you better than I could ever be when I'm physically present as I was with my disciples. That's why Jesus promised earlier on that when the Holy Spirit would come, they would be able to do greater things. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that because you have the advocate sent from Jesus himself, that supernatural helper and supporter, that you can do great things and greater things. I hope you believe that. I hope you know Jesus is telling you the truth. I hope you trust Him. Because you don't need, according to Jesus Himself, you don't need Him physically walking with you, just like He was with the disciples. You've got the Holy Spirit. That's all we need. 
That's all we need. It is to your advantage that I go away. Let's trust him. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Father, we know you are speaking to us tonight. Help us to listen, God. Help us to hear your voice in our lives. Thank you, God, for your living and encouraging word. Help us to trust you, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here. We'll see you on Sunday or next Tuesday.